You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome back to another Page Turner with Big Dog and Little Stuff. I'm Stephanie Menard. And I am Tom Hutchison. And and we're back. Sorry we were, were a week late. Um, I had to get a root canal the same day as we were supposed to record, and I wasn't sure if... Uh, you know, my mouth was going to be up to talking at a podcast <laughs> or if I was going to want to leave my house, <laughs> which I didn't. So it worked out really good. Uh, I ended up sleeping most of the day when I got back. <laughs> so it was a good call. Good. Well, I'm, uh, and I assume it all went well and it's all fine and dandy and bonded and whatever. Uh, yeah, everything's good. I have an appointment to get it bonded uh, next week. So... Okay. Yeah, and it didn't hurt, which is crazy. I thought it was going to hurt, and it, I was in and out of there in like 25 minutes. It was so oh, that's crazy. Fast. Yeah. Yeah, that's really fast. And I, I think it depends on, on the tooth, the amount of work, Like, because I had a root canal, but it was a back tooth, and uh, it just – I felt like I was there for an hour with them monkeying around with it. Um, but it, again, it didn't really hurt because, you know, they numb you up and do all the stuff, but – um, to just sit there with, you know, utensils sticking out of your face for an hour is, uh, is not a pleasant experience. So I guess the, the, uh, the moral of the story here is, uh, brush your teeth, floss, and, um, you know, try to avoid that if you can. Yeah. Also don't let your dog headbutt you. And, uh, <laughs> that's, that is why I had to get a root canal because my dog chipped my teeth back in January and apparently detached the root in one of the teeth Boy. and yeah it's you know it's not really her fault i mean it's 50 i guess i'll, I'll take like 20 percent of the blame <laughs> only 20 though because uh she is a rottweiler and she's got a very big head and she's very very loving she didn't mm-hmm. do it on purpose i was reaching down i had um fallen asleep on the couch and i reached down to give her a hug and she just headbutted me she lifted her head up as i was reaching down so it was just bad timing. <laughs> and so I, and now I had to get a root canal. I, I mean, I, I love my dog. I do not love root canals. So just don't yeah. watch your, watch your face around big dogs. Cause they can crack your teeth. <laughs> Absolutely. Not a good time. Um, well today I was, I almost said, speaking of not a good time, let's talk about conventions. But I thought that that was, <laughs> I thought the greatest a- segue ever. <laughs> I know, right? Like people are like, I no longer want to listen to this episode. No. <laughs> uh we wanted to talk today about um basically uh, Comic-Con 101 and not, you know, San Diego necessarily, but comic conventions in general, which a lot of people have been changing the names of their shows due to that um the uh, litigation, again, that was put forth by San Diego, how they should be the only one that can call themselves a Comic-Con, even though, let's be honest, San Diego is more about the um, celebrities than they are comics. Well, yeah, the, the trick to Comic-Con, the name, though, comes from them actually, their, their legal name is actually Comic-Con International. And then you have San Diego Comic-Con and you have WonderCon and all the things that they do. Mm -hmm. But their actual legal name is Comic-Con International. And so that's kind of where they sort of staked their their spot on the mountain as, hey, guys, you know, 
this this is this is literally who we are um, versus just you know whatever town you know Utah Comic Con or whatever. Um, so I think that's that's kind of part of the, the thing that people do miss. But um, the other part of, of the the ruling was um, they 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 got a hold of the name of the of the right to use the name, but there has never been, to my knowledge, uh, outside of Utah, I think it was Utah who who kind of caused the kerfuffle. Um, there's never been a situation where San Diego or Comic Con International has come up and said, "Hey, you over there in whatever North Carolina, you can't use Comic Con's name anymore." I mean, the Comic Con name is still used everywhere. Um, so right. people are changing just sort of out of a fear of some sort of reprisal from them, but. I don't really see that as happening. That wasn't really the point of, of the lawsuit at that time. It was simply that a show, I want to say it was Utah, might have been Salt Lake. I, I don't know. I don't want to get confused there. Um, they basically just ran down um, Harbor Boulevard during San Diego Comic-Con and advertised their show as Comic-Con, and they poked the bear, and that's kind of what happened. Well, that's really crappy. Um, but like some, <laughs> some of the, con- I I knew some of that, but not all of that. Um, yeah. Some of the conventions, like uh, I'm doing Monroe in two weeks, three weeks, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they changed their name to Monroe Pop Fest because they sure. didn't want to have any issues with calling themselves a Comic Con. Which, and I understand that. I, I'm I'm glad that you know San Diego isn't going after people generally because I think it when I think of a comic convention I think of any convention that has comic books sure. or is comic related. But that's that's nice that they haven't actually gone after people because I I thought that was kind of uh, what was going to end up happening. So yeah, a lot of shows just kind of decided to go into a preventative maintenance mode, and that's why you see so many changes. Well, but, you know, ultimately it doesn't really matter. And and we all kind of know that comic cons are all pop culture cons now anyway, for the most part. There are some that still focus heavily on comics, but um, really the, the, the comic con name is really only in name anymore. It is all encompassing comics and TV and movies and, and you know, everything that is, uh, you know, what we all love. Yeah, basically comics and pop culture all kind of mm-hmm. mixed together, which, you know, for people that are attending that is really awesome and usually you know if you have bigger celebrities or you have you know bigger comic book creators you're going to get a lot of people you know you'll get more attendance to your convention sure it it can be more difficult if you're um say like a an independent writer or an independent artist trying to sell your independent comics at a comic convention because people often don't seek out that kind of stuff. It, 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 I shouldn't say often. I should say it, it really depends on which type, like where where you're going for a convention. Um, but before, you know, this is, before we even get into that, why don't we start off with our, first, like, Tom, t- tell me about how you decided to do, to actually be in your first convention for people that might be interested in, you know, wanting to get a table and to understand like what that's all about. Sure. Yeah. Um, we started big dog Inc in 2009. Um, as far as, as branding as a company and so on. Um, we knew we were publishing books in 2010. So that's kind of when we, we, we sort of use that as our, 
our anniversary date is when we were first published uh, actually into comic retail stores, which was 2010, which is why next year is our 10 year anniversary and not this year. Um, but uh, towards the end, I think of 2009 is, is uh, when we did our first show and it was, I was still living in California at the time. So it was a, uh, I believe it was Long Beach Comic Con. And uh, so it's local to me. It's like a, you know, 20, 30 minute drive, super easy. Um, we had already printed our books that were going to be published and, and distributed in uh, 2010. Um, so we had books. We had Petty Fear Soul number one. We had Critter number zero. And um, along with a friend of mine, the guy who helped me start uh, Big Dog Inc., Stephen Smurl, um, we decided to just kind of band together, buy a table together, a booth. We got a booth. Uh, and uh, split the costs, and, and we went down to have our first ever Comic Con experience. Um, it, it was it was part of what we knew we we wanted to do. We knew we had a little bit of of buying power, having two people, you know, pitching in on the on the table versus one, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, to spread our costs out and everything. And so we just kind of dove in, um, and it was. Uh, it was an it was an okay experience. We were in a very weird the layout to the place was very very weird. We were in a very weird little corner sort of area, but um, it was a, it was a reasonable experience. We really had no idea what to expect uh, outside of hearing people that we knew in the comics already uh, doing their own comics. We we knew their stories about hey I went to this show and I sold so many and blah blah blah. So we kind of went in saying well okay we know this guy sold you know, 50 copies of whatever to, at this show. So we need to do something along these lines to be considered, you know, successful, mm-hmm. um, which we didn't do, by the way, we did not sell anywhere near 50 copies of, of books at the t- on the show, but um, it was a really, it was a good learning experience because it wasn't a massive expense because we split the, we split the booth and uh, you know, we basically, there was no hotel fees or traveling fees. It was just, we went home at night we came back to the show the next day. So anybody that's looking to do shows, I think that is has to be your key point right off the bat is making sure that your costs are as low as possible. And for the most part, wherever you live, more than likely there's going to be a few little shows in your area that you can kind of cut your teeth on, um, uh, you know, without having to drop a thousand dollars to, to, you know, do a weekend show. Right. Yeah. Especially lately. I mean, there's little shows. I mean, there's constantly a comic convention, like every weekend, there's like several. So I'm mm-hmm. sure, you know, most people, um, like I do, I have a friend in, um, I think Kansas City, and they don't have a, any small ones close to them. Everything's, um, you know, a pretty far distance. But for the most part, we all have one that we can drive to pretty easily. Um, you know, and and I did the same thing. Uh, as you did, Tom, like I, well, I only had one comic. I didn't even have an issue zero or of anything else. I just had my issue one of Psychopath. And I had originally booked uh, to do Fantastic on Toledo, but I had a setback because um, Fantastic on Toledo is a lower, uh, a lower price convention. It's a two day con and Toledo is only 40 minutes from my house. So it makes sense, you know, and, uh, 
I ended up having to push back. So my first convention was actually, um, or not Capital City, it was Cherry Capital Comic Con up in Traverse City. And that's a four and a half hour drive. It was a, it's a three day convention. And it, while it is smaller, um, you know, there's, there's an get a hotel room it's four and a half hours away you know and um, so I, I did put out a decent amount of money like the table wasn't expensive but the travel and all of that was so um, I had one <laughs> I had a, my banner I had my book I tried to set my table up to look like there was a bunch of stuff on it but it was really just one comic book and uh, it actually turned out really good for me I think I sold 48 I didn't recoup all my costs, but I re- I recouped enough to feel good about it. <laughs> sure. Oh yeah. So there was that. <laughs> it's a great convention. I still do it every year. It's like my. I mean, I think I'll always do it unless life pulls me in another direction or moves me super far away. It's so mm-hmm. lovely up in Traverse City, but. Yeah. So for me, I, you know, I, I did something that was a little bit further out and cost a little bit more money. Um, but surprisingly, there was a, I, apparently there's a market for horror up, up in Traverse City. So. <laughs> well, yeah. And that's the other part of it is you've got to kind of, and you're never going to know until you do it, which is, which is kind of the scary part. Um, but every show that you go to, uh, or, or do, whether you go to as a fan or whether you do it as a creator, every show that you go to um, is going to have a different audience base. You know, if you do one in Grand Rapids, it's going to be a completely different audience base than if you go to Chicago. So even if you were to do something in Grand Rapids and have it be great, it doesn't mean that if you go to Chicago, it's going to be great or better. It may be worse. It just doesn't it, everywhere you go is going to be relative to whoever walks in the door, what they're looking for, and what you actually have on the table. So if you are a horror uh, writer, creator, etc., you're going to want to try and find shows that have a little bit more uh, horror-based uh, themes to them, either an actual horror show or if you know that the guests there are maybe like, you know, John Carpenter or, you know, horror movie people. Um, then you might be able to latch your product into that mix. Uh, whereas if you were to go to somewhere that that is clearly just sort of a fanboy convention where they're just there for their Marvel and DC, you're not even going to get looked at, you know, through the weekend. So, um, but you you really kind of have to just try a little bit here, a little bit there, see what happens. And then, uh, you know, once you do the show, you just determine, well, you know, that one worked, but that one didn't work. And, you know, don't try and force yourself into a position either. Like if you just because you like a show, if it's not being financially viable to you, uh, you know, then just go as a fan instead of worrying about, um, you know, actually tabling. That is so true. Sometimes it, it, it actually is better to just go as a fan, <laughs> depending on, you know, how well you've done in the past. So. Yeah, use it as as networking. Meet you know, go through Artist Alley yourself. Meet artists that you can work with. 
see how everybody else is doing it, get get tricks and tips. You don't necessarily have to ask them for, hey, how do you do this? But just look at how people set up and, and how they engage with their fan base. And that will help you learn how to, you know, grow your own fan base sort of grassroots style. Right. And that was the next thing I was going to say is that um, before you even, you know, table at a convention, if you know anybody that already does conventions, ask them. I mean, I every single year I still ask people like because there's tons of shows I've never done. So and, you know, as the years go on, I meet more and more people that do way, way different shows than I do. So I'm always trying to figure out like what my next move is going to be because every year some shows like work out really great. And I'm like, okay, I'm totally going to do this one again next year. And some years I know that because I'm a horror writer, you know, this place is not my market. These are not people that want horror. And so I'm going to move on to the next one. You know, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's always changing. So if you, Go to a convention as, um, you know, just as somebody who wants to experience a convention. Talk to people in Artist Alley. Talk to, you know, people who are down in it doing it and, you know, ask them, hey, what are your, some of your favorite conventions? Like maybe look at somebody that has similar product to what you're going to be putting out. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's like the best way to do it. So like I would obviously gravitate toward anybody who was doing horror and say, hey, you know, and, and that's what I do. I, I ask my horror artists and my horror writers, like, hey, where do you do really good? And kind of sprinkle in a little bit of that each year and try it out. It's hit or miss, you know? Yeah, that's it. That's it. And for, for us, it was, uh, um, I mean, I, I write everything. So <laughs> for me, it's like, uh, I feel like I should be able to go anywhere and do reasonably well because of my product base is, is so varied. Um, but even even with that, even with horror and superheroes and westerns and uh, science fiction and whatever, even with all of that on the table, there are still times that I will go to shows, and it's just a matter of the attendees. There are not looking for anything other than what they know, and and that is sort of part of the um, convention catch twenty two nowadays. Is there's so many new people coming into cons which is great, but most of them are there because, uh, you know, Tom Holland is there or because there's a walking dead person there or whatever. And they generally are not looking for anything other than what they already understand. And so it's really hard to convert those guys sometimes into fans of comics in general. Um, just because you watch the walking dead show does not mean they are reading the comic book, for example, right. um, much less reading my goofy, princesses versus zombies comic. I mean, um, there's really not much trickle down. And if you want to convert people into your comic book, um, you've got to really work hard at it. And, and there's nothing wrong with that, but, um, there are definitely shows that will have a more, uh, open minded comic book based fan base, um, than, than a lot of these larger pop cons where they focus on movie stars. Exactly. Um, and oh gosh, I just had something I wanted to say and it, it flew out of my like brain. <laughs> it should have been flying out of my mouth, not my brain. Um, <laughs> dang, um, uh, no. it'll come back to me, whatever. Well, okay. I'll just, I'll just move on. Um, <laughs> we'll just, we'll just skip past that. Um, okay. So for, um, and just so you know, anybody who, uh, 
is a horror writer, I can um, highly recommend like Motor City Nightmares. I can recommend the Horror Hound shows, um, uh, Flashback Weekend. Um, there's a few different ones, but you can also Google this information and they have lists and you can see like, you know, best, you can Google horror conventions or, you know, they have like specific types of conventions that are focused on certain types of things and Google it. And then you can see where a targeted show might be. So, I mean, there's also that. Thank you, Google. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's a wealth of information. Um, okay. So let's say you're at the point where you're like, okay. I know where I'm going to table for my first convention. What do you recommend for somebody to, to have when they first like the bare minimum that you should have to table? Yeah, sure. So, um, the bare, the absolute bare minimum would probably be like four things. So the first is, and this is sort of a just in case because sometimes you get tablecloths on your tables, but not always is bring a tablecloth through your table. Sometimes you just get a grungy wood table and they don't put tablecloths down. Probably 90% of the time you'll get one, but bring something um, just in case you need to cover up that old table uh, because you want to be able to present the stuff that sits on top of that table as well as you possibly can. Um, it can even be, you know, something that, that is more specific to you. Like if you know that you're getting black uh, tablecloths and you want to do red to stand out, put a red tablecloth down on your table. There's nothing wrong with that. Stand out. Do anything you can to make yourself stand out from the people around you. Um, the other thing is you need some sort of a banner behind you. Uh, more often than not, you don't have a table or a, uh, a drape behind you unless you're buying a booth. So you'll need to get something that stands on its own. Um, these things are pretty inexpensive nowadays. You can generally get a really good one between 150 and 200 bucks. Um, you know, put your, put your art on it, put your title of your book on it, put your name on it. Um, you know, let people know who you are as they just kind of walk around because people's eyes when they're walking around just kind of go, go all over the place. So you want them to be able to see sort of levels of your table from your, from your, banner behind you to you standing at your table down to the, uh, the tablecloth on your, uh, on your table. And then of course you need your product, you need your comics, whatever your, your comics are, whether it's one book or eight books, spread them out on the table so that they look nice. Don't let it be all messy and discombobulated. You have a nice creative, you know, flow for your books. Um, so that's three things. And then the fourth, uh, as far as, again, just bare bones basics, would be a business card, um, just something that you can give them in case they're they're just browsing. You can say, hey, you know, check me out on my website. Here's my blog. Here's my podcast. Here's my uh, Etsy store, whatever it is that you do. Um, have something super simple that you can just hand off to them that has all of your information. And that that's also good if somebody comes by and, and they're interested in uh, actually working with you as well, whether it's an artist or a writer or whatever. Um, you can say, yeah, here's my business card. Um, Try and look professional uh, to the best of your ability, even if you've only got one book to sell. Absolutely. And those are those four things I totally agree with. I think um, especially to me, having a a tablecloth is so important because I don't care how good the stuff on your table looks. If you are like sitting in a sea of beautiful black, you know, tablecloths or white tablecloths and you just have like 
you just see this ugly, you know, gouged out table. And, <laughs> it, and, and you see like, it's like you, my eyes just slide right over that. So for me, that's like presentation is super important. So make sure. And I mean, I had to look everywhere to find a decent black tablecloth for my first convention. And I spent like 40, I had, I had to get it from Bed Bath and Beyond because it had to be sure. a certain type of material. Cause all the other ones I found were like kind of trashy. And I was like, no, I'm investing in myself. And yep. you have to remember, like, yeah, you might be spending this money up front, but it's an investment in if this is something you want to do as a career or as a second career or whatever, you have to invest in yourself. And these sure. things are very important. So invest in a very a nice looking tablecloth. Um, work with, um, I work with a great company um, that does my banners. They also do all the banners for uh, Podcast Detroit, which is the network that we're on. Um, they do all kinds of promotional stuff as well. And I've had them do my banners ever since I started. And uh, you're right about it's somewhere between 150 and 200, and they they put the graphics up. Um, I had them design one from scratch for me, and the graphic, the what I paid to get it designed was very cheap, um, and it looks great. So definitely invest either in usually a stand up banner is your best bet, uh, but you can also I, I I have seen other people get like the tablecloth banner that basically like hangs kind of over the middle of your tablecloth and hangs down the front it's not drawing the eye up which in my opinion isn't the greatest way to go because you want to draw people's eye upward so that way they're looking at your product and not just like looking down at the table like where the table like legs are and then walking past you so the stand-up banner is probably the best way to go um Yes to your product, obviously. Make sure that it looks, even if you only have five books on your table, like five literal books, not just like five different books. Um, just make it look as nice as you can. Um, business cards, super important. I had business cards before I ever even tabled and went to uh, Grand Rapids Comic Con um, several years ago and was introducing myself to people who like artists who I thought were, you know, that I could possibly work with in the future. So business cards are great to have regardless, but definitely if you're tabling at a convention. Um, the other two things that I would add to that, um, I have an email signup list that I bring with me. Some people don't do like newsletters and that's fine. For me, I found that my newsletter has um, kind of helped to grow my audience. So even though I found other ways to build my email list, I also bring a sheet. I have like a, a clipboard where people can just sign up and it's right next to where my cards are. And they could put their email on. And that way, when you have a new, something new coming out, you send out a newsletter. And even if you only have like 15 people on there, those 15 people know that you've got a product out and they're going to, and if they're interested in what you've already done, they'll seek it out. So it's a good way to slowly build, uh, you know, a following. And the last thing is to bring a positive attitude. It's so important because pe people like even myself included, it's very easy to become 
jaded doing a lot of conventions. So you're going to see a lot of people around you that just don't look happy. They look like they don't want to be there. Yeah, I mean, Tom, you know that, right? It's like, sure. you know, we, we've, some days we're not, we're tired. We, you know, we've, some people have driven forever and they're just tired and they don't have any energy. And, but you also don't, I mean, it, it's all in how you want to do it, but I think having a positive attitude and looking like you want to be there um, is is uh, is pretty important as well. Yeah, you have to. I mean, who, here's just think of it this way: as, as a fan, if you're just walking down Artist Alley and you see somebody standing there and and smiling and and saying, "Hey, how you doing?" and you know, whatever, even if it's just basic conversation, versus the guy right next to him who's just like sitting and and got his head down and uh, you know, just sort of sulking. You know, two things: one, who do you want to talk to? And two, if you are the guy who's sulking, you're actually drawing attention sort of to yourself and you're you're actually making the people on the left and right of you sort of disappear because you're like, oh, what's that? That guy's like all moody and whatever. I don't want to even go down that section. So people will actually pass over those areas that they don't want to be. So you want to make your section as as you know, as cool and as inviting um, as you can, not just for yourself, but for your entire row. You know, I've seen cons where um, something as simple as somebody not showing up can throw off an entire row because people will look down there and see a missing, you know, an empty spot. And you'll literally see them just kind of look quickly and be like, well, if nobody, if, if that guy didn't want to show up, why should I even walk down that aisle? Regardless of who else is there, it just is a, is a weird vibe thing and um and and so you definitely want to show up and you definitely want to look professional and you definitely want to be uh, as inviting as you can be both for yourself and for your neighbors right and but i also do want to warn against being that guy the guy who's <laughs> yelling to people yes no carnival barkers yes carnival barking is like the most not only from um like uh somebody who's tabled, but as a, as a con goer myself, that is the most, that's another way that you can completely turn me off to your product. I don't care how great it is. If you are yelling at me from two tables over while I'm like, you know, walking around and no, you, you know, there's a difference between being positive and in smiling and saying, Hey, like, how's it going? When people walk by then going, Hey, you over there, quit looking at that comic book. You know, you want to read my comic book. It's all about aliens and monsters and giants. And you know, like just, People get like, I've seen it and it's very, um, it's like going to a used car lot. Like people don't want to do that because they don't want to deal with that. So that's going to turn people off. Um, so it's finding your happy medium, but you know, another thing that I wanted to mention is it being tabled at a convention is very, very different than being just attending a convention. Um, it's very, very exhausting. Now, even for people that are very outgoing and are people people, you know, and like talking, when you're set up at a three-day convention and you're there, you know, eight to ten hours a day for three days in a row, you are going to be exhausted. It is tiring and you're – at some point by like the middle of Saturday, you're going to start to feel it, sometimes even earlier. So just keep in mind, you know, keep yourself hydrated, get good sleep, do your – I mean, don't hang out with uh, the podcast Detroit guys on a night before you have to, um, you know, wake up and, and sell your stuff because they'll get you in trouble. Um, 
Um, but you know, like you really need to, it, it's very, very exhausting. Um, I definitely take the day off after a three day convention just to like, I just don't want to talk to people. I, I just want to be at my house in my pajamas with my dogs and be left alone. <laughs> yeah. Being, you know, basically being on for, you know, eight or nine hours straight, you know, there's not really any breaks when you're at Comic-Con. You're, you're, you're at a table. You're there to sell your books. I mean, yeah, we all kind of meander from time to time and go see people that we know or have meetings or whatever. But for the most part, you're just on for the entire weekend. And uh, that's, that's really mentally and physically draining. Um, another reason not to be a carnival barker, save that, save that energy for when someone's in front of you. Uh, don't, be, yeah. don't be chasing the guy in the other aisle. Um, that, that's, you're just going to chase them away. Just save that energy for when somebody comes by your table and, uh, and then, and then, you know, strike up your conversation. Exactly. Exactly. That's <laughs> conserve your energy. <laughs> um, and well, another thing I wanted to talk about is why do you think doing comic conventions, um, you know, and actually, I kind of think this is changing since I've, you know, started and me, you've been in, you know, the biz longer than me. I've noticed that I, I'm starting to feel like doing comic conventions is less and less important than marketing and social media. Obviously, putting out good product is super important. If you're putting out yes. garbage, nobody is going to buy it, no matter how. And actually, that's not true. People will buy your garbage if you market yourself well enough. But eventually, they're <laughs> going to stop buying your garbage because they'll realize it's garbage. But yes, I, I when I first started, I was like, okay, conventions are so important. I have to do at least one a month. I have to get out there. I have to put my face out there. And I'm not saying that. I personally think that it's still not important, but I am noticing that with the the flooding of the comic convention market, I think that it is affecting attendance at a lot of the conventions. And I think that at the point that I'm at in my career, I can afford to do less conventions and focus that money on um, production for my books and marketing because sure. so it, it, and, and that's not to say that doing conventions, I, I do like doing them because I like meeting people. I like people to un, like to see where I'm coming from and ask me questions about my books and all of that stuff. I really do <laughs> like that. Um, even even when it's exhausting, I do really like it. Um, but how, for you, like for somebody who's first starting out, I think conventions, I mean, you definitely still want to do marketing. You never want to not be marketing yourself and your product, but... I almost feel like doing more conventions when you start is a really great way to start. And then as you grow, you can kind of wean yourself off of doing sure. like as many conventions. I wouldn't say sure. give up on them, but I would say that's my opinion. What do you think, Tom? Well, when, when I started and we were heavy in our first few years, we were doing roughly 20 shows a year. Um, in the last two years, I have done a total of six, seven in the last two years. Now we still have a few more shows this year. So we'll get up to, you know, eight or nine for the, for the last two years, but that's eight or nine in two years when we used to do 20, uh, you know, a year. So yeah, it is cons. Here's, here's the thing. Conventions are for the most part, uh, the, the quickest and easiest way to put your product in front of real live eyeballs and to, talk to those eyeballs about what it is that you do. Um, you know, we don't have the money to make 
you know, TV commercials and, and, and radio ads and all this kind of stuff. So the easiest way to put your product in the front of potentially thousands of people is to do a Comic-Con. Um, and there's and, and when you start, you kind of have to do it that way because that's the only way that you can build, like you were talking about the, uh, the, the email lists and, and um, find people to become your grassroots fan base. I mean, that's what we did. We went from coast to coast. Um, I was in California at the time, and so I was doing – Baltimore and, and Heroes Con and you know all these uh, East Coast shows as well. So I was everywhere. I mean, we just went everywhere. Um, but once you kind of have your your core and your core is active in what you do, be it at shows or responding to your social media or um, becoming part of your Kickstarters, uh, the 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 convention becomes really only marketing at that point. It's, it's, it's almost not even about sales. You want to grab those people and hold on to them through the email list and social media so that you can, when you're at home and you're not doing a convention, you can still be connected to them. Um, so that's really the value of, of cons is connecting with these people. But as we've talked about, a lot of these shows and the attendee base has shifted over the years, even just in the 10 years that I've been doing it, I've seen a very, very distinct shift from um, comic book people at these shows to more sort of casual, you know, people that watch the movies and the TV shows and they come to Comic-Con. Um, so it's much harder to convert those types of people into what I do because they have no idea what it is. Um, whereas if you were to go and take your your grassroots fan base and focus on them through social media. Social media allows you to connect with them. It allows them to share what you do. And when they share it, they share it with their friends, um, which theoretically would have some, um, you know, similar likes and dislikes, uh, which allows you to kind of grow through your connection in social media, whether it's Twitter or Instagram or, or whatever it is. People learn about you through other people, but you have to have those people first to become, you know, viral in, in the social media world. So it's kind of a catch-22. Um, but yeah, I, I think that once you kind of have your established base, that doesn't mean you don't want to continue to chase more fans, far from it. But there are different ways for you to do that now. And, and for just as a, a basic example, the, um, the comic book world essentially exists in three segments. There is the retail uh, buyers, the people that go every Wednesday and buy their comic books from retail stores. There are the people who go and attend conventions of different kinds. Those are now those fan bases overlap, obviously, but there are definitely distinct differences in who goes to each one. And then you also have now what is becoming the the uh, crowdfunding audience where you have, again, you have overlap from the previous two, but you also have people there who really that's what they do. They love to help create something through the creators that they like, or if they just happen to stumble across your project, um, 
then they say, oh, hey, I've never heard of Big Dog Inc. I've never heard of Stephanie Menard. I don't know what these books are, but they look cool. And so I'm going to throw them five or ten bucks and we're going to we're going to help these guys make their make their comics. So there's three very, very distinct audiences that have a little bit of overlap in each. But um, all of them sort of require a very different strategy to attract them into your your fan base. Um, and the the retail version, the only way you can even get that, there's two ways to get that. The, the primary is obviously to be distributed by Diamond Comics to get your product into previews and, and have all the stores be able to buy your book. The other way is just to simply sort of create your own personal Comic Con and go to a store that you um, frequent and say, hey, I'm doing my own book. Would it be cool if I came in on a weekend and, and set up and sold my books in here? Most comic book stores are going to let you do that. And in that situation, you are now Mecon within you know this comic book store. You have a, a flow of people that are going to be coming in anyway. And now you get to be sort of the focal point of, uh, of that day and of that store. And um, that's another great way to, you know, wrangle, uh, wrangle people into your, your basic foundation found base. Yeah. Um, it, it's a, that's a really good way to connect with people. Um, especially if it's like a local comic book store, um, you know, get out there and do all that. But I agree with you. There are, you know, those are the three big um you know, the three big ways that people get their comics and, you know, crowdfunding, we've, we've talked about, you know, Kickstarter, uh, you know, on one of our previous episodes, it, that is really where I see, um, you know, the future of, I, I see a lot of potential in it for the future of comics. And it's something that I've just started utilizing this year, but for, for myself, it's put me in front of a new audience. It's put me on another, you know, uh, in front of a lot more people and it's allowed me to send books to people all over the, the world, Yeah, which I mean, th with my limited, you know, I'm, I don't have anything in diamond at this point. I've been self-publishing. Um, so all my stuff is available through my website at conventions. Um, you know, there's a limit to, to what I can reach, but with Kickstarter, you, you're almost limitless because you do have a huge reach. But if that's something you're interested, go back and listen to our Kickstarter episode because we can, that explains all about Kickstarter and how to make Kickstarter as successful as you possibly can for you. Um, but yeah, I definitely see, you know, the merit in doing conventions when you're starting out and really pushing the pavement and meeting the most people because you have to start somewhere. You, It's just like with anything, when you start any new career and you want to get to like the, you know, as high up in it as you possibly can, you have to put in so much extra work and, sure. you know, it is worth it and it does pay off. You just have to keep doing it. <laughs> yeah. yeah so conventions, absolutely. I mean, they're great. We're, we're not trying to say conventions are bad because they're not. No. I, they're, they're actually pretty wonderful places for, uh, for nerds like us. So <laughs> yeah, uh, the trick really is just finding the ones that will work for whatever it is that you're selling. And that's kind of sometimes the hard part because you got to do them to see if it's going to work. Okay. And, and there's three types of shows really that you're going to run into. There are little shows, which are typically like one day. Sometimes they're two, but I'm going to stick the littler shows. They're typically only one day. It's usually on a Saturday and it's from like 10 to five and they're local. Um, you know, uh, like we're, I'm doing one, actually I'm doing two 
smaller conventions the next two weekends. I'm doing Capital City in Lansing the first weekend um, of September, and then I'm doing Monroe, which is the following weekend down in Monroe. Um, so those are that. That's what I consider like a smaller convention. It's one day. It's not huge, but. Um, this is my first year doing Capital City, so I'm not sure. But with Monroe, I do it every single year because it's marketed super well. And I do well every year on that one day. Yeah, well, and what the, the advantage to one day shows is there's no tomorrow. So the people that are coming there know that it's, you know, when you get at cons, you'll start to hear things like, hey, you're going to be here all weekend, stuff like that. Yep. Um, and that's that's just kind of generally it's just people blowing you off. But uh, with one day shows and sometimes even with two day shows, you hear less of that because these people know that, hey, I, I got if I want something, I got to get it today right. because there is literally nothing tomorrow. So smaller shows and, and, and single day shows like that can often generate um, far more sales just because of that fact. And, and it's more focused. Um, and I love doing smaller shows. I, I've, I've always loved doing small shows. Yeah. And they're like, they're nice because like you said, they're one day. So for us as, you know, the people behind the tables, it's a one day commitment as opposed to a full weekend. You Mm -hmm. don't get the burnout you get when you do one of these uh, medium or, you know, large show. Um, and you're right. People can't say, oh, are you going to be here all weekend? It's like if they want it, they're going to get it. If they don't, they move on. There's no, mm-hmm. you know, it, it just is what it is. So um, definitely um, I love doing these one-day shows. So that's why I'm trying Capital City this year because it's in Lansing. I mean, it's a, it's a couple-hour drive for me, but it's one day. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's on a Saturday, and it, Lansing is cool. So there you go. Um, and then you have like your medium sized shows, which are like, I guess like your Fantasticons, um, which is a, a, a brand of shows that runs in Michigan and I believe Ohio. Yeah. Ohio and, uh, Indiana. Indiana's the third state. They do two day conventions. Um, but they bring in, they bring in some, and I would say what makes the difference between a smaller show and a medium sized show. I mean, not only it's the amount of people that they can physically have in attendance, um, plus the time that they're open. So like two to three days can be a medium sized convention. Not all big conventions are three day conventions or some of them are like five days, like New York Comic Con is like five or six days. It's crazy. Um, but so you can have two or three day medium sized conventions. Um, And really what I, I, I classify it just to me, if you've ever been to a fantastic con, it's that type of show. Um, you know, it's marketed. They have several different shows that they put on, but it's, it's more local. It's not like a San Diego. It's not New York. It's not C- C2E2. Those are all large shows. Those are like the biggest shows. Yes. yes. Um, so the advantage with medium sized shows is that you do get more traffic than you do at a small one day show. Typically it's not guaranteed, but I've noticed that by doing them that we, you know, I typically get, you know, more traffic and I have two days, two to three days to sell. So yes, I'm probably going to make more money depending on the show, but, um, your, your table cost is more money. Um, you, you might have to travel, so you're going to have hotel fees. You're going to have, you know, gas fees and food fees and all of that. So you're investing a little bit more money. 
a lot of times, unless you're lucky and you live really close to, you know, a bunch of medium sized shows. Um, but you know, so there are pros and cons to medium sized shows, but that's small to medium sized shows are going to be your bread and butter, especially for the first two years. Two yes. or three years because you're not going to get into C2E2. You're not going to get, I still haven't. I can't get into C2E2 and I've been around for five years. I can't, I, they don't want me. Uh, like, that horror chick. Oh no, we're not taking her. Um, which, you know what? I'm not bitter about it. It's cool. If I don't even know if I want to do a large convention, I'm very, um, claustrophobic. So. <laughs> But, you know, you always have to, like, put in for it. Like, I, I always put in for New York, and I always put in for C2E2. They're never going to take me. Well, okay, I'm not going to say never, but I know they're not right now. Well, yeah, yeah, you're, you're building, you know. I mean, yeah. like you said, I mean, if you've been trying to get in for the past few years and you really only had Psychopath, um, you know, and you didn't do that with crowdfunding or anything, you just put that one out, right? Mm-hmm, yes. The, yeah, that so, entire series was all me – funding it i had very little marketing except for my own things have changed (laughs) yeah 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 so you know everything is growth you know you're gonna have to buy into a table um don't expect to be guested i don't care who you are um you're gonna have to determine which shows are gonna make the most sense for you and uh you know and from there it's trial and error come combined with the worth at work ethic that you want to put into the show. You don't just get to show up, throw some books on the table and have everybody come rushing to your booth and sell out by Saturday night. It just doesn't work that way. You've got to put in the time, the effort uh, and the, the money and the uh, you know, the physical energy um, to make the convention work for you. Absolutely. And there are going to be shows that, that you think are, oh, I'm guaranteed to do well at this show. And you're going to show up and you're going to do what you can, what's in your power. And you're not going to have a great show. And you're, you're going to feel cruddy about it because we all do when we don't have the best show. And then you just have to remember that not every show is going to be good. It doesn't matter how big of a, you know, you really just, you learn something every time you go to a new convention. And sometimes you learn something new going to the same convention several years in a row. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so I just recommend, you know, not letting yourself feel down or or bad for yourself if you don't make what you think. I mean, really look at what you did to make money. And if you feel that you did the very best that you could then just be proud of yourself for putting in the time and the energy because you can't make people give you their money. You can't. There, I mean, it'd be. I mean, it's called robbing them. If you, you can rob them, but we don't want to do that. We want them to want the product and be excited about it. So just yes. as long as you can say at the end of the day that you did your best, just don't get discouraged. Keep doing it, and the sales will come, and your the fans will come. There's. There is a book. My book is for somebody. You know what I mean? Like there's at least one person out in the world, possibly two that like my, <laughs> that like my comics. So <laughs> yeah, um, that, but, that's it. it you you got to find your audience. You, you yes. have to, it's not just about building an audience. It's finding the audience because you have to find the people that like what it is that you're doing. And, uh, you know, unless, uh, uh, unless you're doing something that's just like, wholly derivative and ripping off of something that they already know, um, you know, you have to convince them to say, 
yes, here's my money for something that I don't know what it is. And that's a difficult thing to do. Absolutely it is. And as we're getting in the last um, uh, like seven, eight minutes of the show, and I, I don't, I'm not going to name any names because I feel that it's completely unprofessional to do so when you're in this industry. It's a really small pond. Um, and you want to, I mean, if somebody's harassing you or mistreating you in a way that needs to be called attention to, then absolutely you need to do that. If you had a convention that you attended, um, as a vendor or artist in Artist Alley and you didn't have a great show, isn't to me, I, I don't think it's appropriate to name names of the shows or to to put anybody on blast because sometimes we just have bad shows. But I sure. did want to discuss, we're talking about, you know, some of the positive things. Um, for people who might be like what like I can give you an example of what a bad con looked like for me. Um, and it's some of the stuff that we touched on um earlier in the show about, you know, people not showing up. And so there are areas of the convention where it just looks almost like a, like a weird ghost town or a shanty town because you have mm-hmm. like every other table. There's, there were people not there. Um, and they didn't show up all weekend. And uh, th- this particular convention was a three day show. And some of the, uh, the guest artists that they had blocked out a, a decent chunk of, uh, property for them to, you know, table up at, they didn't show up all weekend. And I think that, is not a good sign. Um, I mean, that does not look good at all. And um, there are going to be some conventions that have things like that going on that maybe are utilizing too much. Like they've, they're trying to grow too big, too fast. And not only does that, when you're adding more and more vendors to the show, um, really fast it's already kind of thinning out like the money that's going to be spent among you know vendors but if the actual area that you're walking in is too big like you have to walk a football field to get from the celebrity that you came there to see to go to art artist alley (laughs) chances are they're not going to make it to artist alley and for a person who sits in artist alley that's really a big bummer for you know for myself so some conventions are going to be like that too um this certain things can just go wrong and you can go to this convention that you think is going to be really great and it just isn't but um you know and unfortunately that does happen but again i'm not naming names because i don't i think it was just one of those things that just happened and there it, it is what it is um but there are going to be times like that too so you're going to have some really kick-ass shows and you're going to have some shows like that that you're going to walk away from and say okay well this is what i think happened i think i did you know what i was supposed to do and that's it you know yeah you, you chalk it up to experience and you move on and I'm yeah. sure, I mean, I'm, I'm sure, you know, a, a bad con to you would look something similar like what I said, you know, missing guests and missing people and <laughs> it's too big for its britches and, you know, it's not, the, there's not a correct flow to the, the floor, which is important too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, and, you know, I, I've been doing this now professionally for nine years. So even now, when I do a show, I will still have off shows. And it's not because the promoter didn't necessarily do their job. It's it's just that 
uh, like we talked about, the the attendee base at that particular show was not interested in what it was I was doing. And so to come away from that show and say, oh, well, this show was terrible. That's not really the truth. It was maybe terrible for you, but that's only because you were not the focus of, of what the attendees were looking for. So what you've got to do is come out of that and say, like we've, again, like we've talked about, this show is not for me. I did it. I tried it. These guys are not interested in me. I'm going to spend more time at the little show that I did and make sure I go back there next year because those guys loved what I did. Don't, don't think that because you're not vending at New York Comic Con and San Diego and Emerald City and all these huge places don't think that because you're not there, you're not successful. That is not the case. You can be successful all on your own with your one comic book by reaching the right markets and doing the right shows for you um, and growing yourself from, from that bottom rung of the ladder and adding a rung each time you do that same show again. Um, and, and, and that's really the, I think, ultimately what, what we have to the message that we have to get out to to everybody who's doing shows is is just that is success does not is not determined by which shows you do at all. Absolutely. So if you hear all these people are flying all over the place and doing all these things, that's just them. You focus on your product, you focus on your brand, you focus on your region of the country first and foremost, and everything else will kind of fall into place. I, I so much agree with that. I, I so much agree with that. And um, I think that's like basically the perfect way um, to end the show today. Exactly what you just said. You know, find find where you fit and work hard and just do you. And also remember to lift up your fellow artists and writers as well. Um, yeah. it's what we do is really, really tough. So, I mean, yeah, focus on yourself and your work, but you know, I, my friends who I'm proud of, if they have a new book coming out or if they, you know, I try to just like give props to, to the people who are, are working hard and, and sometimes we, ha we have bad days and we just need to be lift lifted up by our fellow artists and writers. So just be there for each other. <laughs> That's right. Dave That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, that's it for this week. Um, next time we'll be back in two weeks and we'll be talking pop culture. And I've seen some movies and I'm seeing some more movies uh, between now and then. So I'm okay. going to be ready. Well, when, we're, when we're done here, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and put pants on. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm, heading down to, uh, I'm heading down to the store to get a copy of the Godzilla Blu-ray. So that is, that's going to be my afternoon. I haven't seen that. I will make sure to watch it. Um, Boom. I, I know that you probably did. You're a big Godzilla person, so I'm sure oh, yeah. you've already seen it. I oh, yes. didn't. I missed it in the theater, and now that I know it's out to, uh, it's out to rent. So I'm going to be on Prime today <laughs> with no pants on. See, we're going to just trade <laughs> places. You take, you put pants on. I'll take mine off, and <laughs> we'll both watch Godzilla. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> All right. Until next time, I'm Stephanie. I'm Tom. And we'll see you in two weeks.